And Brother Ken asked us to remember her and her family at this time. We are also reminded of the baby shower for Parker Pounds, uh, soon to be born to Evan and Tori Pounds. There's a gift table in the back if you'd like to uh, to bring a shower gift for that baby. Food pantry item this week is cornmeal. Remember on Sunday morning we have an outdoor service at 8.30 over in the parking lot. You can come and bring your lawn chairs and sit in the parking lot or you can stay in your car. And then we also have the 10.30 service here in the auditorium. October the 4th, there's a couple things going on that Sunday that we need to be aware of. We have the life chain from 2 to 3 uh, out here in the front of the building. We have plenty of room to spread out. You know, with this year, with the COVID virus, there may not be that many folks to turn out. Uh, but since it's right here in front of our building, we need to we need to have a large group of folks to turn out that Sunday for for just one hour. Uh, this is uh, to show that we are against abortion. And also on that Sunday, October the fourth, we're going to start our Sunday school up, but we're going uh, we're going to do it a little differently than we've been doing it. It will be at five o'clock. On Sunday afternoon, our Sunday school, we'll have classes for all ages. And we'll follow the same format that we're following on Wednesday nights. So make plans to be here on October the 4th, that Sunday night at 5 o'clock. Brother Ken. Good evening, everybody. Well, it turned chilly, didn't it? Woo, quickly. But I like the fall, so looking forward to this change of weather. And you know what? We had coats packed away that we haven't used in four or five years, so I'm excited about it getting cold so I can... Do you guys have snow here in northern Mississippi? Just shake your head this way, no matter what. Just nod it. Yeah, we're going to have some snow. I hope so. That'd be great. Uh, will you sing a song with me? We're going to start with 253. 253. Tonight we're going to be talking about how we have to be a people who are offering great worship. That has to do with our participation in worship. So I hope that I can spark that in you. But that just made me think about this song right here. There is an emotion in us that is about as humble an emotion as there is. And that is when you have emptied yourself all the way down and then you look up at God and His greatness. There's anything you can do but to offer him adoration. So we're going to sing that, and let's sing through it a couple of times since it's short, okay? Then we'll begin our study. Mm -hmm. 
Does he reign in your heart? Thank you. Let's pray and then we'll begin our study. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege of this day. Thank you for the rain that's been falling steady all day. And it just reminds us of those little droplets of blessings that you're constantly showering upon us. It's manifested by the rain. And Father, we just, we praise you. We thank you, Father, for our health and strength and for the freedom that we have to assemble here tonight. But we know of a lot of people who are sick or who are afflicted, who are grieving tonight. And we pray your comfort on all of them. We pray for those who have suffered damage from the storms recently and more storms that seem to be coming. We pray, Father, that you will protect life and help folks who have experienced property damage be able to make their assessments and recover quickly from it. We thank you, Lord, for our congregation. It's made up of so many members. And I pray that as we're going through the study of how to be a great church, that each of us will feel our own individual responsibility to be the very best that we can be as part of this congregation, and that if there is a weakness that we'll not find it in ourselves, that we'll be striving hard to be what you've called us to be as your children. Father, I pray that tonight as we think about worship in particular, that you'll help us to appreciate the act of worship itself, and then the meaning that's so important related to worship. And then, Lord, just help us to also see the beauty of what worship is. And Lord, examine us that we're not just going through a process, but that we're given our whole heart in dedication as Christians to lifting you up when we offer our worship to you. Thank you for the blessing of the study and for the challenges that it will have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, just 
put in mind for a minute the events that you see described in Acts chapter 2. If we were just going to have a seminar or a talk about evangelism, you might go to that chapter and say, wow, you know, this is, this is the practical application right here of true evangelism. Because Jesus had commanded His apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They were to preach that gospel to every creature. And then it seems like as the narration goes on, especially in the opening verses of the book of Acts, by the time you get to verse 8 of the very first chapter, you already have an outline of what they're going to do. They're going to start there in Jerusalem, sure enough, but it's going to spread to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost ends or parts of the earth. I mean, they are committed to evangelism. And typically, when we talk about the mission and the purpose of the church, it just, it revolves around that idea of evangelism. And there's no doubt about it right here in this chapter. All kinds of emphasis on evangelism. An entire sermon, or at least parts of that sermon, concerning the gospel itself. Peter proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what was necessary for them to have their sins washed away to repent and be baptized. But did you know that in the midst of all of that examination of evangelism is also the beginning of the church and one of the very first things that they do, they do if not the very first thing, is offer worship to God. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. In verse 47, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Here was a people who just now have learned the gospel, obeyed it, and the natural response, it seems, is not just that they would go out and teach that very same gospel to other people. Oh, I'm sure that they're going to do that. But the natural response that they have is to stop and worship God. Now, here's the thing about worship. Worship is a manifestation on the outside of an internal desire. I want to praise and lift God up. How can I do that? Well, through various avenues of worship. One misunderstanding about that is that since it is related to the heart of a person, or you might say the spirit of the person, since it's related to those parts that are on our inside and others can't examine... People have gotten this misunderstanding that, well, since it is an internal thing, and since it's my heart, you know what? Kind of anything goes. Any way I want to behave ought to be something that God accepts. But if you've read the Scriptures even a little bit, you remember that God has expectations related to our worship. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says... 
Worship is something that's related to two things in particular. What we offer him is in spirit and in truth. When we offer worship to God, it's an intentional thing that's driven by a desire to lift God up. As we sang just a moment ago, to offer Him sweet adoration. To be driven just by a heart and a mind that wants to express itself any way that it can is to give in to the carnal side of one's being. In fact, Jesus addressed that in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. Jesus said, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In fact, as regards the misunderstanding related to worship, you see in Scripture basically four different types of worship that people try to offer God or at least their understanding or perception of who God is. There is vain worship that was mentioned there in Matthew 15 at verse 9. If something's vain, that means it's nothing. It's useless. It's unacceptable. In that context, it was something that was derived from the mind of men. So if I examine worship and I realize that at its root is a mechanism or instrument for the accomplishment of simply a man's desire, I can tell you right now that's going to be a vain worship. And then there is what we would call ignorant worship. That's what Paul ran into in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, when he was in Athens. He was at the Areopagus, or some translations will have Mars Hill. But while he was there, he noticed all of these monuments to false gods. And then over to the side, just in case they had missed one, they had kind of a a tribute to the unknown God. And he says, well, let me tell you about that God. He's the one who has made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But here in this text, it is of ignorance. We don't really know who he is. Many people with a desire to try and worship something that is greater than themselves, again, fashion their own form of worship, really with no direction at all, not really sure how that's supposed to go. That is an ignorant worship. And then there is something that I guess I would say is is blatantly false. Because in the very in the very definition of what it is, we see its error. And that is the idea of will worship. Now in Colossians chapter 2 at verse 23, you have in older translations, it's will worship, or in newer translations, it's described as self-imposed religion. Now stop right there. There, there you go, right? I, I already see that's patently wrong. Again, if God is the recipient of worship and I'm to fashion my worship from my heart according to not just spirit but truth, God's revealed truth, then, then I recognize if it's will worship or self-imposed religion, a self-imposed form of action, well, 
the first word in that whole description tells me I'm headed in the wrong direction, right? Because it's wrapped around self. And then there is what you would just simply call true worship. That's what was derived in Jesus' explanation in John 4. A worship that is based in spirit. That's the internal part of the person. The yearning, the desire to worship God. And truth, the direction that comes along with that. The instruction of exactly what to do. So tonight, I, I want us I want us as a church to be people who offer to God great worship. Because that's what He expects of us. And in that examination, what I especially want us to appreciate is what Jesus has called us to do. The time is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and they that worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's talk for a few minutes about the act of worship. The act of worship. If you've been here very long, you've probably already considered just by watching what happens, those activities that we believe the scriptures teach are our avenues of worship. And I want to go ahead and introduce this idea with regard to worship, that worship provides us, for lack of a better term, it provides us with some vehicles by which we might worship God. And when I say a vehicle, I'm just simply talking about some structure or some form by which we might take those internal desires to lift God up that are within us, our desire to praise and adore Him, a vehicle through which we can do that. When we operate that vehicle, that is then the implementation of the truth that God has revealed for us. God's truth is, here are, the, here are the things I want you to do that are acceptable in my sight as worship. My desire is to worship. God says, here's how you do that. Well, one way God offers us to be able to worship Him is through prayer. And I, I don't know of very many, I don't know of very many religious groups, whether Christian or some other flavor of religion in the world that doesn't in some way use the idea of prayer and meditation to God. As we noted from Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, that's one of the things that was from the very beginning, right? We're converted, we're, boy, we're really thankful to God, so we're going to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. We're going to be offering up prayers to God. Sometimes we see those prayers in different forms, like supplications. Even thanksgiving is offered to God through the avenue of prayer itself. I am humbling myself as I approach God's throne. Prayer is one of those beautiful avenues that everybody can participate in. In that same text, we see another avenue and. I try to emphasize this every Sunday when I preach. And that is, this isn't just, you know, like a, a Bible class. This, this sermon that we're going to 
participate in, all of us together, our minds together. We're going to meditate. We're going to worship in the process of it. When that early church had assembled, first thing they did was continue in the apostles' doctrine. And so they're going to be studying together as a unit, as one mind and one spirit, honoring God through not just the examination of that text, but God's intention in giving us the word is the application of that word. So just like Jesus said, those who hear these sayings of mine and do them, I will liken to a man who built his house on the rock. We're going to hear what God has to say. And then the worshipful expression of that is to do what he is called for us to do. So somebody says, well, now, Ken, boy, you really stepped on my toes this Sunday. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if I've ever done that to you in this short time. It's not my intention necessarily to step on anybody's toes. My intention is to share what God wants us to know. Now, if in the process of that and your examination and your meditation, yes, even your worship over the words that God has spoken, in that examination, if it challenges you to change, and then you like to quantify that by saying you stepped on my toes then peace and amen rolled up together. I'm glad because that means that God's word has been obeyed. It's been truly appreciated. And so let God's word just roll all over our feet. Amen? And so not only am, am I seeing what is in that text, some also see in, in the breaking of bread an allusion to the Lord's Supper, which is another mechanism of that. It's what Jesus instituted in Matthew chapter 26 when he was calling those apostles to remember what was going to be his death. And they're remembering it through the breaking of the bread, which is representative of his flesh that is going to be offered on that cross, and of the blood, the cup, that is shed on that cross. Ultimately, when we partake of that Lord's Supper, we are in a worshipful mindset. We are remembering together. We are meditating upon the death that Jesus went through for all of us. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Paul felt that that was so significant and important that he waited around in order to partake of the Lord's Supper with those brethren, actually waited an entire week. It's a significant avenue by which all of us, again, come together. And I just want to say this about the Lord's Supper. You know, sometimes when we talk about these other avenues, we've already mentioned praying and um, preaching. We'll talk about singing to and about giving. And all of, all of these things, many times people will compare others. They'll say, well, so-and-so is a great song. Oh, he's a better song leader than... Or the preacher, boy, he preaches better than. Or that brother so-and-so, he, she, they give more than anybody in this church. And we make all these comparisons. Worship is not about us comparing ourselves with each other. And I think that's what I love so much about the Lord's Supper itself. Have you ever heard anybody say, well... Now, Brother, I don't know, Brother Jones, man, he is the best cracker eater I've ever seen. Or Sister So-and-so, Sister Smith, boy, when she takes that cup, oh, I just wish I could drink that cup like her. 
You know, isn't it when we assemble around that table, we truly are one. We don't think about being better than each other. We are truly humbled, as it were, at the foot of the cross, yes? Actually, that's how it ought to be through every act of worship. Not thinking about comparing or what's greater or lesser, but just about my yielding up what's internal with me through this mechanism that is offered in order to adore and praise God. And I mentioned there's the singing, yes. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And I just want to emphasize that. Singing's the mechanism. What was the heart aspect? Well, he just brings it right out. You're making the melody in your heart. Somebody says, well, I can't hardly carry a tune in a bucket. You know what? Just sing anyway. This is not a performance. It's not a performance for us. It is an adoration of God. And the giving. You know, just like uh, Acts 20 verse 7 told us that they were partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. So it is true with regard to uh, our um, our giving. First uh, Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 and 2 describes giving on the first day of the week, because that, that was that was their pattern. I mean, that's that's when they're gathering. And that they are to give as they had prospered. Again, it is a self-examination. It is something that is coming out of my heart, and it is directing itself toward God. I am not thinking, well, I want to give so I can impress. It's not about that. The only audience here, the only one who is examining my heart with regard to my giving is the Lord Himself. So all of us joining together and participating in these acts of worship, we lift ourselves up in the direction of God. Now, the beautiful thing about communion and, and all of these other things is that in the process of that, not only are we lifting God up, but we are encouraging one another because we're recognizing our brotherhood, right? We're recognizing the oneness that we have in lifting God up. If we're not in that process if we're not doing that, or if we're adding something to these five acts of worship that are described in these scriptures, then the Bible talks about us actually adding to the doctrine. Doctrine is the teaching. So if I add something that's not in the teaching, I'm adding something to the doctrine. In Second John, and there's only one chapter, so Second John in verse 9 it says that whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So, so if I'm adding something that God has not prescribed as a vehicle for my worship, as part of the doctrine, then he says it isn't just almost slap your hand and you've done a bad thing. He's like, Wait a minute, you don't have me. But when you do what I've asked you to do, when, I, when you do what I've commanded you to do, then you have both the Father and the Son. Now, there's an example of some people, uh, several examples, but we'll just look at one. Because I think it, it's, it's tremendously instructive. There's an example in the Scriptures of somebody who truly did go beyond the teaching that they had received. And there are terrible consequences as a result. 
You may have heard of two brothers. Actually, they're the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Aaron, by the way, the high priest. So these guys, at least one of them, in line to become high priest someday. That's, that's an important role, right? And so Nadab and Abihu have responsibility with one particular thing, and that is fire that they were going to use in censers, offering up worship to God. But on this occasion, the Bible says, and we're going to, there are two passages that you might keep in mind. One is kind of the description of the event. That's in the book of Leviticus chapter 10, the first three verses. And the other is just a reflection on what had happened. That's in the book of Numbers, chapter 26 at verse 61. But both of them tell us the same tale. And that is, instead of offering the fire that God had given, the fire that God had prescribed, the fire that was to be the vehicle for the worship, instead they used what some translations call strange fire, or maybe your translation has profane fire. Something that is profane is something that does not appreciate the value. They were offering something they thought, from their human perspective, it's fire's fire, you know? And so this will be simpler for us. We'll use this. God is like, whoa. No, I, I gave you the fire that I wanted you to use. You have used a profane fire. And as well, let's make a long story short, as a result of that, They were consumed by fire. What I mean is they lost their lives. They were burned to death. I kind of get the idea, do you, that God was not pleased uh, with their decision? In fact, there is an interesting statement at verse 3. And that's, that's really why I chose this example. It's because God talks about himself. He says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Now stop and think about that for a minute. God says, if you decide you're coming to me, you better regard me as holy. In other words, I am pure, I'm untouchable. You are not pure, but I'm going to give you a vehicle of purity by which you may approach me as a holy God. Now, here are the avenues, according to the New Testament, that we can approach God with. We can approach Him with prayer and the preaching of the Word and singing and giving and the Lord's Supper. Those things that are outside the five that God has given would be, well, those would be profane. You say, well, these are perfectly good things to do. They might be within a human realm, an unholy realm, but when God says it's holy, that's what makes it holy. It doesn't have anything to do with my perception of whether it's a good or bad. God said, with regard to Nadab and Abihu, When they approached me, they came with a profane fire. Isn't fire just one fire good as another? No, it is not. No, it is not. The one that God prescribed, that's the one. Some people ask, well, what about the music question? Why is it such a big deal that you guys only use a cappella music? Why don't you use instruments of music? Here's the reason. Because instruments of music would be a profane mechanism. The reason it's profane is because God never instructed us to do it. 
God said, sing. And you saw the text. It's a matter of the heart, right? We're making melody in our heart to the Lord. You say, well, we just use the instrument to keep it in tune. Did God say it had to be in tune? Actually, I'll just say this for fun. Four-part harmony is kind of a modern take on singing. Uh, Back used to be, they just kind of moaned and groaned a tune. It wasn't the tune. It was the expression through the process of that singing. You don't have to be a beautiful singer in order for that worship to be holy to God. In fact, here's a, here's a word, you may not remember it, but I just want to throw it out there for you. It's the Greek term that's used with regard to worship in the New Testament scriptures. It's proskynuo. That word literally means to kiss the hand toward. Not just kiss the hand, but kiss it toward the recipient, the owner of the hand, the recipient of the kissing. Another way to describe that that I've read is... It's like when a dog approaches its owner and kisses or licks its hand. You say, ew, gross. (laughs) Okay, but imagine what's happening here. The dog has humbled itself. It's obedient. It is submissive. And it demonstrates its submission literally and with yuck by licking its master's hand. The picture of that right there, whether you like it or not, is the picture of what worship is supposed to be. I don't come to God and say, here's what I'm given and you're just going to have to accept it. That's not how God operates. God says, if you're coming to me, you better come holy. And if you're coming holy, that means you're coming in the way that I have prescribed you to come because you're an unholy person. So you choose the vehicle that I have prescribed. When we approach God, we approach God in worship, i.e. we approach Him through kissing the hand. We humble ourselves in the presence of our God. That is the act of worship. But let's go a step further and let's talk about the meaning of of worship. What what exactly does worship mean? I, I saw the definition of that term, but let's let's make that a, a practical application. What does it really mean to worship? You know that for some people, and I'm not going to count anybody out in here. Maybe this is how you view it. And if you do, that's that's okay. We're learning. But for some people when they worship, it's a duty. They're like, okay, when I get in that church building, I'm going to sing, I'm going to pray, I'm going to partake the Lord's Supper, I'm going to give, I'm going to hear the preaching. And when I get that done, I'm done, you know. I've checked off my boxes, I've accomplished my task. Okay, that sounds like worship in truth, if you're doing it as God has commanded to do it. It doesn't sound to me like there's much heart in that. Worship is to be spirit and truth. So that means I'm not here just to kind of get through a service and come out maybe complaining about how the thing went. That is not worship. Worship is when I come intentionally to offer something to God. It it is not, I'm sorry, but it is not to be seen as a duty to be done, something that I'm just checking off a list. 
Some people, when they see worship, they think of it as entertainment. Want to have a sensational, fun preacher. Want to have dynamic song leader. I want to sit back there and I just want to, man, this is amazing, you know. Boy, this just charges me up. Is worship about entertaining ourselves? Now, I'll be honest with you. There are some times when we sing a song or we hear a devotional or even a prayer. And it just something about what was said or the words in the song or just the power, the volume, whatever. It overwhelms us. It's emotional. That's okay, but... We ought not come here expecting to be entertained. If we feel those emotions, it should be in the process of everybody attempting to worship God in spirit and in truth. It just so happens that it charged us up. But you know, there may be times when we don't feel that way. Does that mean I didn't worship? Heaven forbid that will be true. No matter what happens, when we come in here and we intentionally worship and we have done so in spirit and in truth, regardless of what you hear people, they say, boy, we had the most spiritual worship the other Sunday. According to what standard? Because the standard of Scripture is, I do it with all my heart, and I do it according to the dictates of Scripture. If I do that, that's spiritual worship. It has nothing to do with how I feel about the actual performance of it. Do not come here just simply to be entertained. Because that is not the meaning of worship. Neither is the meaning of worship a social one. You say, well, Ken, we talk about fellowship and so forth all the time. Yeah. But when we're worshiping, we are joining together as a fellowship, as a body. And we're in expectation that every part's pulling its its load and we together are lifting God up. We're just working together. We didn't come here just to socialize, to, to be with somebody who's important in our community. Or we didn't come here just to find a husband or a wife, did we? You know, this is not a social club. Is it social? Yes, it is. We like each other. But worship is not is not intended to be or a fill-in for a social interaction. It is the gathering together of spirits in like mind to worship and adore God, not to worship and adore one another. You know, sometimes people, when they come in here, they kind of look at worship as an art exhibit. Sit in the pew and look around. Is everything clean? When was the last time we dusted those lights up there? Do we need this painted? Oh, it looks okay. Looks good, the flowers arrangement. Is that getting long in the tooth or it's new? How long has it been here? Oh, the configuration there with that wood. That, that's nice. That's very nice. Oh, look, at, look at the greenery there. It's inspiring. You know, the song leader, when he gets up there, oh, I like the way he wears his bow tie. That's really neat. It's beautiful. Why doesn't that preacher wear a suit made by X? You know, where in the world do you get that thing? Why didn't it fit right? What's the deal? 
We look at the parking lot. We, we're, we're in examination of the structure. Is this structure the church? And when I examine all these things, and maybe it just ticks me off that things aren't exactly orderly and as I want them to be, does that mean then that I can't worship? Can I get so upset that something isn't, that didn't get, oh, heaven forbid that we didn't have a bulletin on Sunday. There'll be some people so ticked off they can't even worship. Are you kidding me? Is that why we came here? To check out the graphics on the bulletin or the graphics in the PowerPoint? No. This is not an art exhibit. Let me tell you what worship is. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and this is important. Worship is spiritual sacrifice. Now let's add to that Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, which speaks of three different things. Well, two things that are together and then a separate thing. The sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, the giving of thanks. Now I want you to really chew on this idea here a minute. When we come together for worship, the meaning of our worship, what we are doing together when we come together for worship is we are offering up spiritual sacrifice. That word right there is significant. Because a sacrifice is something that comes from me that I offer to God. When I came here to worship, was I coming here to get something? I have heard, as long as I've been preaching, maybe way before I ever became a preacher, someone would say, I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't get anything out of that singing. Or I didn't get anything out of that sermon. That prayer, he just keeps rehearsing the same old worn slogans. I didn't get anything. I I didn't get anything. Worship is not about getting anything. It is the one time in our lives when we're worshiping that we're not here intending to get something. Wait, Ken, what do you mean by that? I mean that every other time, Every other day of the week. In fact, when you leave worship, right before you got to worship, and after you left worship, every other time in your life, you are needy. God is providing you even with the air that you breathe. You are absolutely dependent on God. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and one extra day during the leap year, and every single day of your life. Every breath that you are taking until you depart this world, God is providing it. You are absolutely dependent. But, but, when you worship, when you have come here to worship, you turn the tables, as it were, on God. Because now what you are doing is offering to Him spiritual sacrifice. Sacrifice means it's coming from me. Now, if, and please examine this closely. You say, well, yeah, I spiritually sacrifice when I'm praying because I hear the words and I'm going along with it and I partake of the Lord's Supper and I'm listening to the sermon, at least some of it. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving, well, the giving. Uh, maybe I don't give some. Or maybe I just kind of give what's in my wallet. Okay, put a hook on that one right there. 
And then the other one is singing. Some people sit there and never sing a word, never sing a drop, just sit there. Oh, well, I'm just kind of going along listening. Is that a sacrifice? Are you participating? Listen, worship is not an evaluation of what is happening. Worship is participation. So if I have a vehicle for worship, I better hop in it. (laughs) You say, Ken, seriously, I can't sing. Peace. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. We have just somehow or other in this generation or two got the idea that we've got to be able to sing either uh, soprano, alto, tenor, or bass. Forget that for a minute. When the singing is being done, and when we are in the process of worshiping God, don't you just sit there in that pew and listen to everybody. You participate. And the reason why is because that is your vehicle for worshiping God. That That is the means by which you are adoring your God. Look at the Scriptures. You know the entire Psalms? There are 150 of them. Those were written as the Psalm book of Israel. You think God's not looking to hear from us? Not looking to... He, he spends time saying, look, when you sing... You are making melody in your heart to the Lord. That is special. And the same thing with giving. If I'm not giving, then it's, I don't know, I'm just just kind of always dependent, right? Remember, we're turning the tables on God. So I'm always dependent on He's always giving, 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 giving. Now's my opportunity to give something back. Well, what do you think about God's giving to your life? If you think anything about it, then give something. Well, Ken, should I give 10%? I'm not your judge. Give as you have prospered. The beautiful thing about the New Testament is you don't have to limit yourself to 10%. You didn't see that one coming, did you? You don't have to limit yourself. Give what you believe you should give because that is a heart matter. That's what worship's all about. And, and then let's think about the beauty of worship. Just how, I'm sorry, our time's practically up. We're going to Isaiah chapter 6. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah says, I I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The whole house was filled with smoke. And so here's what Isaiah says. He says, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, in this text, Isaiah is overwhelmed. He has a realization, though. The king might be dead, but the true king's not dead. The true king, he's sitting on his throne. And then... He makes some concentration. He looks around. You know, he sees what's happening. And when he sees what's happening, what's happening, he realizes his own sin. He falls down on his face. The rest of the story, beginning at verse 6, going through verse 8, is that one of those seraphim goes, it takes a tongue, gets one of the coals off the altar there, takes his hand, touches Isaiah's lips, purges him of his sin. And then God says, Hey, I've got some work to do. Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. 
That's a worshipful depiction right there. That's what worship does to us. We come in here and our eyes are opened to the glory and the majesty of God. And if I never said one word from this pulpit, when we come to worship, it ought to just take us to our knees in humility before Almighty God. And we say, here am I. Send me. Worship is that mechanism by which we approach an amazing God. In fact, it's so, so great that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Be there. Be a part of it. Express yourself to God. Because if we're ever going to be a great church, and I believe we will, that's going to take great worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of examination. Help us, Father, be worshipful. Help us be truly worshipful. Help us to approach your holiness through your holy mechanisms. Forgive us, Father, when we have not been what we should be, but Lord, when Sunday comes and our time of worship is here, take off all those restraints from us and just motivate us to praise and adore you greater than we ever have before. Help us to offer up that spiritual sacrifice. Thank you for your word and its challenge to us. Help us to be a great church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have kids, please go get them. Everybody else, wait just 